0: hopefully you, you kind of feel like I do right now, um, already just in <clears throat> singing together and hearing the reading of the Word of God, um, what a great time of worship already. Um, and uh, I just just to, to clarify, and I, and I was just reading something about this the other day, it's like a list of 10 things we do wrong in worship, and we, 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 we sometimes call some things worship and we don't call other things worship. And usually we call the things worship that mean the most to us, Right. So if you're really inclined musically, well, oh, that's the worship time, right? Yeah. If you really like to hear the preaching of the word of God, man, that's the worship time. Yeah. Uh, you like to greet people? That's the word. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all worship, right? In fact, our life is worship. And what a great time we've already had to worship together this morning. And, um, uh, d- Uh, This time we want to dismiss our children so that they can go and worship together as well. So if you are up through the fourth grade and you would like to go to children's worship, you can. Uh, um, Also, if you're visiting with us, if you would like to escort your child back there and meet their teachers, encourage you to do that. Um, And you can come back in here and and join us uh, together. So if you are visiting and and would like to take your child back there and and meet their teachers, um, they don't bite, at least not hard. So... I'm kidding completely. Um, uh, the, rest, the rest of you, um, some of you already know where you're supposed to turn because uh, you've been here the last few weeks. But I want to encourage all of us to turn to the book of Habakkuk. And again, if you need to go to the front of your Bible and look up what page number the Habakkuk is on, you can do that too. Don't feel bad. Um, a lot of people have to do that. Habakkuk. And just some FYI here. So we're going to, um, Lord willing, we're going to finish, conclude this study. of Habakkuk, God, I have a question. Right, we're going to we're going to conclude this study this week, and you're thinking, okay, what's next? Well, Jared's preaching next week, and the week after that, I'm going to do a standalone, and then the week after that, I'm going to begin uh, teaching through the Book of Acts. All right. So I'm excited about that. It's about the church. It's about God's work in the church and in starting the church and the church growing and all those wonderful things and i I, i'm excited about that for my own life i'm excited about that for the life of our local church and i'm excited about what the lord will do in your life as we look and study uh, through the book of acts how many chapters in the book of acts 28 and i know some of you thinking and the lord will return before we finish well i did i did uh genesis had 50 chapters so i've done that one and uh John we did John but uh, I'm excited about that it's a narrative and will flow a little bit differently than some other books but encourage you to come back but come back next week and hear Jared preach. and the week after that I'll have a standalone then we'll start the book of Acts so I'm excited about that and and if you are visiting with us um when Ben got up here to to uh read and he said hey we're in Luke when a lot of people laughed hey Mark no it's Mark well, the reason why is because we're doing this thing called Abide Together. We're reading through the New Testament together. And there's a reading plan. If you'd like to join in with us, we encourage you to do that. You can find it on our website, gbctx, gracebiblechurchtexas.org. And it's right there for you. And um, so encourage you to do that. Also, I've encouraged this past week, I had a couple people actually respond uh, to my reflections. And we've had a little discourse going on. They're asking questions or just making other observations that are a blessing to my soul. So I encourage you to do that. Let's, let's talk about not only, we can talk about it physically, and I encourage you to do that even more so, but if you want to talk a little bit about it on the on the blog on our web page, I encourage you to, to, to do that as well um, so we can all be blessed. Well, we are uh, hopefully going to finish this this morning. And uh, the, mess, the, the title of the message this morning is Yet I Will Exalt in the Lord. Yet I Will Exalt in the Lord. Let's pray and ask him to help us uh, understand and apply his word. Lord, we... Thank you for the time we've already had to worship you. We now pray uh, as we come to this time of worship through your word, uh, Lord, that we would worship you as we um, sit at your feet and we sit under the authority of you and your word uh, to know you more. Our our hope, Lord, is that we would just get more information, but Lord, you would use this information to bring about transformation uh, to the exaltation of you in all that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I would venture to say here this morning uh, that most of you here, at least many of you here, heard the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, many of you all have heard that. A good friend of mine, in fact, I'll put a plug in for Man Camp, a guy named uh, uh, Ken Watson, going to come and do our Man Camp. Um, I've known him for years and years, many when I was in, in college. He's been a faithful pastor for over 30 years in South Carolina. is a lot of speaking um, but he he says it's Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. All right, he can say that because he's African American guy, right? I don't get. I, I can say I can quote Ken, but I can't say that, right? I can't buy, get by with that, right? But Ken says that, and uh, I never forgot this story because of that. I think. <laughs> but uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and most of uh, you know that they they were three friends of Daniel, and it's during the time of Daniel, was actually just a little bit past uh, what happens here in Abac, but. Uh, the, the story is, is mostly most of you go, that Shagrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there in Babylon. They've been taken captive, as has Daniel, by the Babylonians. They're in Babylon, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar um, gets a little bit too big for his britches, and he decides he's going to make an image, a golden image, and he's going to have everybody in his kingdom bow down and worship that image when certain song plays. And it goes through all the different kinds of instruments that are in that. And when that song, song strikes up, when the band strikes up, you all bow down and worship this image well the problem was is that shadrach meshach and abednego were committed to one god the one true god yahweh and they would only worship him they would not bow down to that image now many of you parents are already thinking about the veggie tail one on this right and the chocolate bunny right yes I, I hear some Right, and that don't then and, and the, the Shad, shadrach and benny in that story do the same thing we're not bowing down to the chocolate bunny all right, But it's, it's funny, even as Jared prayed, often we bow down to things a lot less than a chocolate bunny or a great big golden image. We worship other things. Uh, so we're all tempted to worship things that are not the true God. Sometimes we worship the creature rather than the creator, don't we? But here we are. Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're, they're, they have this opportunity to stand up for the Lord, and they do. And it gets back to Nebuchadnezzar, it gets back to Nebuchadnezzar that these three Jewish people that you brought into Babylon... They're not bowing down to the golden image. They're not worshiping the golden image. And, and so he said, well, bring them before me. And he basically says, all right, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They all held actually high positions in his kingdom. And they were serving him faithfully. I'm going to give you one more chance. When the band strikes up, you bow down and worship. But if you don't, you're in trouble. And he says this in verse 15 of chapter 3. But if you do not worship... You will immediately be cast in the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Now, most would say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here were in a very difficult spot. Wouldn't you agree? They're in a difficult spot. If they don't bow down and worship, their toast. Well, what would most people do in this circumstance? When death is imminent, what do most people do? They do whatever they can to keep from dying. That's what most people do. So what do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? Well, we see this in Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom you serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of a blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, of course, what happens? The king gets mad. He says, heat that baby up seven times hotter than it's ever been heated before. And they heat it up seven times hotter and they should throw in Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Now, I, and, and, and we know the rest of the story. If you don't know the rest of the story, the Lord protects him. Nebuchadnezzar looks at him, and it's like a, a, there's like one, like a son of God in there, which was a, actually a Christophany, or it's a, pre, it's a pre-incarnate, or before Jesus came to earth, appearance of Christ in there, and he protects them, and they're saved. And it's amazing, and Nebuchadnezzar bowed down and worshipped the God of, uh, of Israel then, after all this. But notice, I want you to notice something here. Notice that they were not assured that God was going to save them. Do you notice that? They're not assured he will. They believe he can, but they're not sure at this time he will. So they're not going, oh, we're going to step in here. We know God's going to save us. That's kind of easy. They don't know that. They they just don't know that he can, but they're, they're not sure that he will this time. But they still will not bow down and worship the golden image. They worship one God, the true God. What would cause these men to worship the Lord no matter what their circumstances were? How could they worship the Lord in the midst of impending death? How could they do that? Question to us. How do we respond when the circumstances surrounding us are difficult? When it looks like all is lost. When there's imminent pain coming our way. How do we respond? When everything around us is uncertain or falling apart. Do we respond in worship? If we're all honest, this is often not our response, isn't it? So let me tell you, tell on myself right here. On the way to be here this morning, with my two daughters, oldest daughters, we hop in the big van, the big white Tigers, we call it, 12 passenger van, and it doesn't get very good gas mileage. And I get in there, and it says zero miles left to empty. And I'm already down the road. Zero miles left to empty. I'm toast. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to call Joshua. Joshua, you if, keep your phone on you because if I don't make it, I'm going to call you to come back and get us. This is my oldest son. He said, like, well, where are you, Dad? Well, I'm, are you close to the Valero yet? Well, I'm getting closer. I'm trying to get there, you know. Well, so I, I, get, the, I, I get to Valero out on Business 288. And there's also a little problem with our gas tank where it only takes like 10 cents at a time right now. Um, our youngest decided to put something um, in the gas tank. We found out this week, he confessed, some kind of flowers or something, and it's clogged up the gas tank. So it so only takes uh, like 10 cents. Um, he was christening the van, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, and and I'm like, okay, hope we're going to make it and and... and and I think Anna Marie, my oldest, goes, "Hey, I think the I think the McCalls are out in front of us. We can call them to help us." All right, I'm just trying to focus. What am i going to do? I'm getting all, getting all frantic. I'm not going to make it here on time. And uh, then then Tim, you're going to have to preach this morning, all right? And then you'll be frantic, right? So I, I and so I get there and I find I put five dollars and just enough for us to get here. That's about probably about enough in a twelve passenger van to get here to get here. So I'm frantic, and we get back. I get back in the van. I'm driving, and McKaylee says to me. Hey, Dad, just like Habakkuk, the Lord's in control. Oh, man! Because <laughs> we were talking about Habakkuk, the breakfast table again this morning, as we, I try to do uh, often with our kids, just to kind of quiz them a little bit. And um, Yeah, the Lord's in control, and Dad did not worship the Lord. That was not his first response. Uh, it was, like, okay, what am I going to do? And um, I was frustrated, and I guess so to be frustrated, but hopefully my response would be uh, worship him. But not only... Uh, Here, the the response to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not only was it their response in the midst of impending death in very, very difficult times, this also was the result of Habakkuk. Look with me at the very last few verses, verses 17 through 19 of chapter 3 of Habakkuk. Now, we're going to come back and get the rest of them, don't worry. But let me just, just, just read these. This is his response though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines though the yield of the olive should not should fail and the fields produce no food though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls yet I will exalt in the Lord I will rejoice in the God of my salvation the Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and make me and makes me walk on my high places for the choir director on my string instruments Now let's be reminded of the context of Habakkuk as he says these words in verse 18. Yet I will exalt in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Remember things in Jerusalem are about as bad as they've ever been. Uh, The wickedness of God's people is at an all time high and the worship of false gods is more popular than ever. Jehoiakim is king, one of the sons of Uh, Josiah, who brought great reform, he turned everything back around on its head. And this is one of the worst times in the history of Israel, of, of specifically the southern kingdom of Judah. And in Habakkuk 1, the verse four verses, Habakkuk is lamenting over this fact, God, look how bad it is. Everybody's turned their back on you. They're worshiping everything but you. They're doing all these lewd things in the streets. It's terrible. Why don't you do something, God? Why do you allow evil to persist? And that was Habakkuk's first question. Lord, what are you going to do about this? And then in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1, God answers his question with something that got Habakkuk a little bit off guard. God says, uh, yeah, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to take the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, and I'm going to allow them to come in and bring discipline on my people. Whoa. And the Babylonians were ruthless. They were more evil, at least it looked like from the outside, than than the Jews were. And is like, whoa, God, I don't get that. I mean, you are holy. You, you can't even let anything sinful be in your sight. You're a just God. You're a faithful God. I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand how you could do that. Because they are more wicked than we are. I, I, regardless of what I said in verses 1 through 4, God, I promise you, they're more wicked than we are. So I don't know, God. I don't know. So at the beginning of chapter 2, basically we have Habakkuk saying, there is a God and I'm not him, and Lord, I'm looking to you, because I have no idea. Man, we need to get there a lot quicker in a lot of, in a lot of areas in our life, don't we? Admit we're not God, but there is a God, and we can look to him for the answers, and sure enough, he does look to him, and that's really his uh, second uh, question. Uh, Lord, I, I don't know how, how you're going to do this. How are you going to bring about this good out of this evil? Um, how can he work through his, In spite of his impeccable character to bring about something good in wicked people through a wicked nation. So then throughout chapter 2, as we saw last week, God basically exhorts Habakkuk to live by faith. He says the righteous or the just will live by faith. He says, trust me. And then he goes through the rest of chapter 2 and he basically gives us the destiny of evil. What's the destiny of evil? And he shows the destiny of evil is I'm going to destroy all evil. And one day I will set my kingdom up. And I will reign and there will no longer be evil. That's chapter 2. So, um, but in the midst of that, I'm not going to take away the circumstances. Judah is still going to suffer. The Babylonians are still going to be used by me to bring about discipline on my people. So even though God answers Habakkuk's question, he's not going to change Habakkuk's difficult and destructive circumstances. Yeah, Habakkuk still says in verse 18 of chapter 3, yet I will exalt the Lord. I rejoice in the God of my salvation. How can Habakkuk respond with worship to the Lord, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the midst of his circumstances? God's told him what's coming, and it's not good for the nation of Israel, for, specifically for the southern kingdom. And the question is for us, how can we respond with worship in the midst of our difficult circumstances? Well... That's what we're going to learn this morning in Habakkuk 3. God's going to show us how as we look at what look at this prayer of Habakkuk. So let's look at these, these verses. We're going to look all, all 19 of them. We'll come back to these last ones. Um, and I'm going to work down through them. I'm to, it, by the grace of God, explain what's going on here so we can understand what the text has to say. And then after I work down through the past, I'm going to come back and point out three biblical responses to difficult circumstances so that we would respond in a way that honors the Lord and in turn brings blessing to us. So let's look here at verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk. The prophet according to the Shigunoth. What in the world. Is a Shigunoth. It's actually. A musical term. It's a type of passionate song. The only time other time in scripture we see it is in the Psalms. It's a passionate song. It could be in the midst of danger. It could be a rejoicing. But it's a passion. So you see this passionate prayer. That's turned into a song and we see that look at the very last part of verse 19 always ends so the very first phrase in the last phrase in chapter 3 says this for the choir director on my s- s- stringed instrument habakkuk made the contents of this chapter 3 into his song that so that he and others would n- always remember its truth isn't that true how we remember things through song right here we go. I'm gonna, we'll, 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 I'll age myself, and I, don't, I really don't know the younger ones as much, but my baloney has a first name. It's my baloney has a second name. It's yeah. And if you ask me why I'll say, all right, I need a little song. How about this? Um, uh, Big Mac, filet of fish Icy Coke, Big shakes, sundays, and Apple Pies. Now, those are songs, jingles, when I was growing up about different things. It had to do with food. Um, and uh and I never sat down in front of the TV and said, hold on, mom. I, I, She's calling me for dinner. I got to write down the song, the, the, the words, the Oscar Mayer Wiener song or the McDonald's song or, oh, what a feeling to drive Toyota. I didn't write that down. I just knew it because there was a song accompanied to it. We learn things through song. I got so many songs in my head. Some of them, by God's grace, he's taken out of my head. All right. But. There's others that are there, and, and and they're there because I learned them with a song, and we we learn things through song. And Habakkuk uses the, the avenue, the method that God has given us through song to help himself, first of all, to remember the truths that he's getting ready to tell us, but to help others remember the truths. Jerry, you need to work on this? Put this to music. Maybe we can do the same thing, all right? Uh, we'll, we'll get, I'll get back with you on that, right? Because <laughs> well, I'm not going to be able to do that. All right, so it's a song. All right, so let's look at verse 2 at the beginning of this song. It says, Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, notice that phrase, I've heard the report about you. Habakkuk looks back at the work and the word of the Lord in chapter 2, what the Lord just revealed about what's going to happen. Lord, I've heard that. And yeah, I get the destiny of evil it's going to be gone but in the midst of all that there's still going to be a lot of suffering and me and the people that are still here in jerusalem we're going to suffer too that's a hard word lord and that's why he says that he, he says i fear he's he, the, the fear can have it, maybe you're saying he's in awe and i think there's two things he's in awe of god's answers to his questions like whoa i would have never come up with that in a million years god he's just in awe that's amazing god and, and then there is a, a sense of fear because even though the Lord is going to ultimately destroy evil, there's still going to be a lot of pain. He, so Habakkuk makes two requests in this prayer. It's, it's interesting. Um, just a, a little note here in verses 1 through 15, there's only two requests. It's a pretty long prayer for only two requests, isn't there? What do our prayers look like? We'd, I'd probably get about 45 requests in in 15 verses. He gets two in. Uh, but they're foundational. So let's look here. It says the first request is revive your work in the midst of the years. Some translations say revive your work in the midst of our day. All right. It seems as Habakkuk is asking that God would quickly fulfill his promise. And specifically the promises of, 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 of chapter 2. Let's get this over with. And, and demonstrate his power as you've done in the past. And just destroy all evil, God. Take care of it. And his second request is look there at the very end of that last phrase, in your wrath, remember mercy. Lord, as your justice is poured out on your rebellious people, including me, please be merciful. Be merciful to us. And of course, he proves to be merciful in the midst of his justice with them. We see that because, as I've mentioned a few times before, as in Habakkuk, Sure enough, in 605 B.C., here comes Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to they're take a first wave of a bunch of leaders into captivity. They're going to take over Jerusalem. They're going to take people into captivity. 597 B.C., they're going to take another wave. In 586, they're going to destroy Jerusalem. And yet, there's still a remnant. And 70 years later, the Lord will bring them back. So in your wrath, remember mercy. Yes, his wrath came, but he remembered mercy. He didn't destroy them completely. It could have been a lot worse. Well, um, in Habakkuk's prayer here, just, just a note for us all. Notice that, first of all, he approaches the Lord with humility, not arrogance. And if you ever hear any goofball on TV tell you to make demands of God like you're in charge, turn the thing off, and cancel your cable. Well, we'd all have to cancel our cable, wouldn't we? That is not how we reproach the Lord. We, we take Habakkuk here, who is a prophet. Way better than anything else we see on TV that God had called. And he doesn't approach God in arrogance. He approaches him with humility. God, please. He begs of God, knowing that God is not his puppet. But he submits to God. He's humble and he comes to prayer. Now look with me at verse 3. God comes from Teman. Now if a kid ever asks you where God comes from, now you know. God comes from Teman. And the Holy One from Mount Paran. And then you see this word, Selah. Where else do you see that word in Scripture, in the Psalms? It's it's, it's, it's part of, it's a couple things. You, you, it's, it's kind of a, a pause, all right, a musical pause. It's also a pause to make you think about it, to think about what you've just sung, think about what you've heard. So it says, God comes from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Haran. So what? where is Teman? Well, it's east of the Jordan, the land of the Edomites. Where God brought the Israelites through in the Exodus. Were the Edomites nice? let see if you remember. Were the Edomites nice to the nation of Israel when they came through? Not at all. Not at all. And then you see Mount Paran, which is a leading mountain in the land of the Edomites. So it's talking about this area where God brought them through on the east side of the Jordan. They're, they're coming up from the south, from uh, being delivered from Egypt, going to the Promised Land. All right, he, he's causing him back. What's happening is the Lord's causing him back to remember the great power with which he brought Israel into the promised land. And, and if you were an Israelite, if you were living in, in, in Jerusalem at this time, and this prophet, prophecy came to meet you, you would know exactly where Teman was and Mount Paran. You'd know exactly what he's getting ready to say, what he's going to talk about. The Lord's deliverance of his people through the wilderness was the standard of his faithfulness to his covenant. This is the standard when you think about the faithfulness of God he promised he would deliver him. He promised he would get them to the promised land. He would get them through whatever it took to get him there. And God proved himself to be faithful. So they're thinking he's talking about the faithfulness of God. All right. Look again at the second half of verse three. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His splendor covers the heavens. So what was it in the heavens that led the nation of Israel by day? It was a cloud. And how about by night? a pillow of fire and and i'm telling you, if you were hebrew you'd be oh yeah i know that you'd be tracking right along so that's what's happening he's 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 recounting this story this is the earth is full of his praise now what's that talking about in relation to the nation of israel being delivered out of egypt under the the bonds they were under to get to the promised land what in the world would that be talking about how about this conversation that God basically has through Moses to Pharaoh. Look what he says to Pharaoh. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. The earth is full of his praise. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about, it. Pharaoh, you're not in charge. I am, and I'm going to use you. And ultimately, because of you, people are going to praise me. So he's taking again through this, this whole account of being delivered from Egypt to Ultimately, the promised land. Now, look at verse four. And his radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand, and there is the hiding of his power. This is further emphasizing the um, the glory of God going before His people to mightily accomplish His purposes. And then it says in, in verse four, and there is a the hiding of His power. As awesome was His display. In delivering the nation of Israel from Egypt and getting the promised land with a fire by night, a cloud by day, and all the other amazing things he did, there's still a hiding of his power. It reveals his glory to an extent. Remember when Moses said, Lord, let me see your glory. And God places him over in a cleft of a rock and he kind of hides him a little bit and passes by. It says he sees the Lord's hindquarters and he still comes off the mountain with his face aglow. He has to cover it up. He just started a glimpse of the glory of God and left his face burnt. So there's a hiding, too of his power. He never has revealed his complete glory to anything on earth. If he would, we would all be consumed. Now, one day he will reveal his complete glory and the world and earth will be burned up. And we'll have a new heavens and a new earth when he does that. We don't want that. But so there's a hiding, there's a revealing of his glory, there's a revealing of his power, but there's also a hiding in it as well. Well, the Lord continues to remind back of all he did in bringing his people out of Egypt into the promised land. Look at verse 5. Before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. Speaking about the ten plagues, again, with which God used to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Verses 6 and 7, he stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan under distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. This all refers to the journey to Canaan east of the Jordan. As they were going east of the Jordan, Right? This is all speaking about the people. It says, he looked and startled the nations. The Amorite kings joined together to fight against Israel because they feared the Lord and his people. He startled the nations. It says, yes, the perpetual mountains were scattered. The ancient hills collapsed. These seemingly immovable mountain, right? And powerful na- nations fell before the Lord Almighty. His ways are everlasting. And this is the same God is always the same. He's reminding uh Habakkuk here and Habakkuk's reminding others that are going to read this and he's going to prophesy too and he's also gonna, they're going to sing this song that his ways are everlasting everlasting he can take care of the Amorites and he can take care of the Egyptians he can also take care of the Babylonians who are at our doorstep getting ready to take us over they're nothing compared to God then it says the tents of cushion and the tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling you name the people and God's got them taken care of too. Just name them. And it's funny, he uses tents and tent curtains. I mean, if, if he can move a mountain, what's a tent curtain going to be to the Lord? They're hiding and shivering behind their tent curtains like that's going to protect them from God. No way. Not our God. Now look at verse 8. Did the Lord rage against the rivers? Or was your anger against the rivers? Or was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? Habakkuk rhetorically asks if, if, if God's angry with nature. I mean, God, are you angry with your na- nature, your creation? you Are angry? Of course he's not. Yet he's using these things he's created to bring about judgment. So it seems like he's angry with them. Uh, the mention of the horses and chariots is a symbol of the Lord's power over all his creation, including the dreaded Egyptians of Moses' day and the dreaded Babylonians of Habakkuk's day. Now look at verse 9. Your bow was made bare. The rods, or some translations say arrows of chastisement, chastisement were sworn. Selah. Think about that. The Lord promised justice, and it would be served. That's what he's talking about. Your bow of judgment, right? Judgment, it's coming. And they're they're reserved. It says they're, they're sworn. It's an oath I've made. He, God has made with, with, with his judgment. He's going to judge. And then it says, you cleave the earth with rivers. This is just another display of his power. Now, we, we, you talk to some people and say, well, you know, the only way the, 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 the Grand Canyon could have happened or this big river here could have happened or this thing could have happened is over zillions of years, this and this and this and this, this could have happened. God just said, I want a river right here. How about a river over here? I like this river over here. I like the Mississippi. Here we go. That's nothing to God. He created the rivers. He put them where they wanted to. Now look at verse 10. The mountain saw you and quaked. The downpour of water swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its hands. Here's a picture of the parting of the Red Sea. And look at this picture. I love. The mountain saw you and quaked. The downpour of water swept by. The Deep uttered forth his voice and listen, it lifted high its hands on one side. One hand went up and the other side, the other hand up as it, if it was praising God as he parted the Red Sea. That's the picture. What a wonderful picture. What a wonderful God. Even the things he's created to cry out to him, right? We promised that in Psalm 19. Well, now look at verse 11 sun and moon stood in their places. They went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. I wonder what that's talking about. sun and moon stood in their places. Joshua 10. That's what it's talking about. A five king coalition of Amorites had come together to defeat the Israelites. So the Lord made the sun stand still to give them long enough to knock all the coalition off. And you go read in chapter 10, that's exactly what happens. He makes the sun stand still and the moon stopped. Wow. To deliver his people. Then it says, they went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. This is a perfect picture of something else God did in Joshua chapter 10 as well. It's part of his deliverance from these, this five king coalition of Amorites. Look, I'll give you the verse here, John, Joshua ten eleven. As they fled before Israel, while they were at the descent of Beth-horam, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiel, and they died. There was more who died from the hell than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Now go back and look at Habakkuk. They went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your glimmering spear. It's Joshua 10. He's delivering his people. Now look at verse 12 in Habakkuk 3. In indignation, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations. Anybody know about how many how many um, battles that Joshua fought? Anybody know? 31. You know how many battles joshua 1 31 temporarily set back by ai but he ended up winning that battle too or god did through him and it says here in ignation you march through the earth in anger you trampled the nations no one could stand before the lord if he delivered his people 31 for 31 and if it had been 32 it'd been 32 for 32 i look at verse 13 he went forth for the salvation of your people the salvation of your anointing the reason god did all these things is because these were his people so you went forth for your people it was his people that's the reason he did these things god's wrath was against the enemy of his people and his purpose purposes that's what came down they, they were, these enemies hated him they hated god's purpose hated his people so god brought about his just wrath upon them Now look at the second half of verse 13. You struck the head of the house of the evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. Selah. Think about that. To lay him open from thigh to neck. As my buddy Tom Nelson would say, that's a whooping. And he's speaking about Pharaoh. He whooped him bad. So much so that the nation of Egypt would never ever be a threat again. They've never been a threat since then. Is Egypt a big world power today? Nope. Got a lot of cool things to go visit, but they're not a world power. God laid Pharaoh, the leader of that nation, open from thigh to neck. They've never gotten over it. Now look at verse 14. You pierced with his own powers the head of his throngs. This, they stormed in to scatter us. Pharaoh thought that he had the Israelites right where he wanted. They, they, they come, finally he gets okay, so They they fooled me. They want to go worship? Oh, yeah, they're escaping. Let's go get them. So he goes and gets them. And sure enough, the Red Sea's on one side. They're on the other side. He's going, we got them right where we want them. And God opens up the Red Sea. And the people rush in. And it says here that they stormed in to scatter us. He's speaking about, here's Habakkuk said, they, they the, the Egyptians stormed in. To scatter us, and and then look, look here. It says at the end, end of verse fourteen, at the attitude in which they stormed in, their exaltation with like those who devour the oppressed in secret. You can just see them. Yeah, we got them now. I mean, they're just so excited. They're already celebrating the victory. And then notice this phrase: "Who devour the oppressed in secret?" It's as if they will never ever be a called account to account for their deeds. Nobody's ever going to see this. Nobody will ever call us to account by wiping out the nation of Israel, and that was Pharaoh's intent: was to exterminate the Jews. Now, again, my friend Tom Nelson, who's pastor at Denton Bible Church, uh, tells this old tale that the Jews still tell. Um, What do you get when you attempt to exterminate the Jews? You get a feast. So what I mean by that, when Pharaoh tried to exterminate the Jews, you have the feast of Passover. When Antiochus Epiphanes, before Jesus came, tried to uh, 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 exterminate the Jews, you have the feast of Hanukkah. When Haman tried to get the gallows and he's going to exterminate the Jews, he's going to take out Mordecai and have all the Jews killed on one day, you get the feast of Purim. And when the Antichrist tries to exterminate him. You get the wedding feast of the lamb. So when you try to exterminate God's people, you get a feast. Because God will always deliver and will always be celebrating the deliverance of God of his people. Isn't that good news? I like feasts. Especially the feasts of the Lord that remind us that no one will take out his people, Jews or Gentile. Let me ask this question. Have you ever, ever met an Amalekite? Anybody ever met an Amalekite in here? How about a Philistine? Or an Amorite, or a Hittite, or a Girgashite, or any of the ites. We've never met them. Why? Because they don't exist anymore. Have you met a Jew? ever met a Jew? You have. I have too. I wonder why. Because God made a promise. And regardless what your end times theology is, there is a place there for the nation of Israel. Regardless of what. It's in everybody's end time theology. Because it's in Romans. You have to deal with it. There's, God, God is going to do a great thing with the nation of Israel. Now, there's disagreement exactly what he's going to do with them. But he's going to do, there's going to be a revival in the nation of Israel. And many of the people in the nation of Israel, Jews, are going to bow down and worship Jesus as Messiah. Period. Because God made a promise. And God always keeps his promises. God never fails his people because he's faithful. Now, look at verse 15. You trampled on the sea with your horses on the surge of many waters... Instead of the Israelites being devoured, God used their own weapon against them as they stormed him after the Israelites, only to be drowned themselves. Now look, at verse 16. I heard, and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones, and in my place I trembled. He's speaking, he said, I heard I, I heard this vision. I heard, I heard this word from God. I mean, this God brought this all to my remembrance as I thought about this, and as I, I, I sang this back to the Lord, Um, I trembled. I trembled. Look at verse 16. uh, The rest of verse 16. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress. For the people to arise who will invade us. Now, uh, other translations say this. That I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up uh, uh, unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. So what in the world? This This is really the only place in Habakkuk it's like man in the Hebrew trying to figure out what is the saying because there's there's some terminologies that's, that's different uh there, there's some sayings that are different here and, and it's just a, a difficult thing but the context helps us understand and that's what, whenever there's a difficulty man what in the world is that about well let's look at the context and then you can interpret it rightly Habakkuk is saying I rest on the faithfulness of God when he sends the Babylonians to invade us to bring about discipline upon us on his people Habakkuk feared because he knew the Lord was just and would keep his word, and they were going to lose the land, at least temporarily. That's why he trembled. He trembled at the fact that God was going to do just what he said. He wasn't going to change. Listen, he was not going to change Habakkuk's circumstances. And Habakkuk knew that. But he's going to rest on the faithfulness. I must wait quietly. I rest in the day of trouble. I'm not shaking in my boots. In that sense, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? I'm fearful, but I'm not worried about what's going to happen because God has said what he's going to do. He knew the Lord would would not totally forsake his people because he was faithful. Now look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, so though the yield of the olive should fall, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Habakkuk says, if everything destroyed is destroyed, if everything is gone, and it was. When the Babylonians took a land, they destroyed it totally. There was no walls, there was no temple, and the and the surrounding lands, they ruined so they couldn't even put crops on. So he said, if all that, look at his response now in verse 18. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Now, now, now I want you, he's talking, he uses the word Lord, Yahweh, uh, the covenant keeping God. I, I, I'm, I'm exalt. I will exalt in him. I will rejoice in the Lord of my salvation. Now look at verse back to verse 13. You went forth for the salvation of your people. He went forth for the salvation of those people. He's about my salvation, too. That's what he's saying. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. Now, notice it says, I will. He's speaking about the future. When this occurs, Habakkuk says, when your judgments on your people come at the hand of Babylonians, I will exalt in the Lord and rejoice in him. When that comes, that's going to be my attitude. I'm choosing now to exalt in God. Then. And it's coming a lot sooner than they think. Why? Because he knows that the Lord will be faithful to his promises and deliver his people just like he did before Pharaoh and all others. Now notice verse 19. The Lord God is my strength. Notice that present tense. He's his strength now, even before it happens. Because if he's not our strength before it happens, we know it's coming. We'll fall apart anyway. If we know it's coming. He's saying, right now, he's my strength. He will. I will exalt in him. One day I will. But right now, he's my strength. And if he's not your strength now, you won't exalt in him. Then Habakkuk says, he's my strength now. Now the rest of verse nineteen, he says, he has made my feet like hinds' feet, and makes me walk on my high places. Now this is a type of gazelle that goes to to, to flee predators to. Way up in the tops of the mountains. And there's just these little, little, these little rock, these little places, little paths, places where your your feet would not be able to fit. And he he makes his feet like these hinds. He's talking about to be able to get up and not fall and be sturdy in the in places where you shouldn't be sturdy. But it looks like this all's falling apart. Those little hinds, those little gazelles can get up there and they can stand on nothing and just be solid and firm. And, and here Habakkuk is saying, and he makes me like that in the midst of all my troubles and circumstances. He makes me firm. I will not be moved. How in the world could Habakkuk respond with worship? to The Lord in the midst of these circumstances. How? He remembered that the Lord is always faithful to his people. And he will save them from everything he has promised. Is that good news? And how will we, in the midst of our difficult circumstances, when everything seems like it's falling apart and doesn't look like it's getting any better at all, when it seems like all, 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 the, all the people who hate God are getting away with everything, but the people who love God, they're getting it. How are we going to stand up in that when our family's falling apart? Same way Habakkuk did. Remembering that God is faithful. He will come through on his promises. Let me just summarize this in just three biblical responses to difficult circumstances. First thing from this passage is approach the Lord humbly in prayer. Come to him in prayer. Say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm going to trust in you. Lord, if there's discipline needs to come on my life, maybe for some sin in it. Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. Lord, Lord, do a great work. Deliver me like you delivered your people in history, all the history of the world, you've always lived your people. I'm trusting that, Lord, please, I beg you to deliver me from all this. And one day, see you face to face. Come to him humbly in prayer. Secondly, trust the Lord's faithfulness in the midst of your circumstances. So where do we see the Lord's faithfulness portrayed? We see it in his word. We see his faithfulness over and over and over and over his faithfulness to his people. When um, uh, I told the story, it's been years and years since I told the story, but when I was coming back from my short stint with the Atlanta Falcons uh, because of a destroyed shoulder, and I, I really thought that's what the Lord had called me to do. I don't think I'd still be playing now. I'm a little bit old. But I thought I was going to be here for a long time. And that was the platform was the Lord was going to give me to minister to my fellow teammates, to have opportunity to, to share Christ. Um, through all different places because of that platform. And, my, and that, that career lasted about three and a half months. I came home, and I, I just didn't know, Lord, well, what are you, you going to do? What are you going to do? And I called a friend of mine named Bob Warren, who just passed away, one of my greatest mentors in my life back this past fall, and uh, called him up and said, Bob, I, he played nine, he played 10 years in the NBA. He's older than I am. And um, and I knew his career ended quicker than he wanted to. He played 10 years, but the team he was with in the old NBA folded, and his career was over. And I called him, and said, Bob, I want to come and talk to you. And just struggling. And, and I just had shoulder surgery. And all this is happening. And he said, well, Brian, I couldn't drive at the time. He said, well, Brian, before you come see me, what I want you to do is I want you to read the book of Genesis. And I want you to sit down and read it in one setting. And when you're done with that, I want you to read the book of Exodus in one setting. He said, what else do you have to do? I said, nothing. I go to rehab. And that's it. So you got plenty of time. And then you go to Exodus. Go to the And then all 66 books. And he says, I want you to do this. Don't look for some specific uh, little intricate little details and all that i want you to look for this i want you to look for the faithfulness of god to his people from genesis to revelation and about two and a half months later i'm a slow reader i guess all right i was done with the whole bible a lot of people two and a half months man i can't even do it in a year i didn't have anything else to do all right so i read it and i and it was like the god god's word just washed over me and reminded me he has been faithful to his people he will be faithful to me whatever he's got and now I hear, here I stand at 46 years old, and God has been faithful to me every step of the way. And he will be faithful to me all the rest of my life into all eternity. And I'm glad I did that. And the only way you're going to be reminded of that is you've got to get in the word. When you can't see his hand, trust his heart. And you find God's heart by knowing him more. Well, listen, to the third one is exalt in the Lord and rejoice in the God of your salvation. Exalt in the Lord and rejoice in the God of your salvation. Remember that He is the God of your salvation. Don't forget that He's promised to save you. He's promised to to, to save you in many different ways. And the ultimate, this ultimately points all of back. Ultimately points to the salvation we have in Jesus. On the road to Emmaus, after Jesus is risen again, there's some guys kind of talking about the events, and all of a sudden Jesus. Shows up and he's talking with them, and they don't are not clued in, and th- it's Jesus, and he's walking with them. And it says in in, in Luke twenty four twenty seven, it says, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. You hear that beginning in Moses, the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, and then all the prophets, which include the rest of sometimes referred to all the rest of the books of the Old Testament. He 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 all of that, and it said how it all referred to him, because Habakkuk is ultimately about Jesus. It's about his salvation through Jesus salvation from the penalty of sin, which we all deserve because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages and his death. We all deserve that. So it's about the salvation of Jesus from the penalty of sin, from the wrath, the just wrath of God on our sin. It's also about the salvation that comes from Jesus from the power of sin that we all deal with every day as we battle sin in our life and around us, our own and others. It's also about the salvation of Jesus Who one day will save us from the very presence of sin. Because it's all about the salvation of Jesus. The Lord God. He is the God of our salvation. And we're in the midst of difficulty. And things we just can't understand. Lots of pain. God would call us to exalt in the Lord and rejoice in the God of our salvation. I'm reminded and was reminded as I talked about before. I got a lot of songs in my head. And this is a song that was worth remembering. Uh, Many of you probably never heard of it. Uh, It will date you if you do. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever heard of it. Um, But it's an old imperial song called Praise the Lord. When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes. When you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears, don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise him. Praise the Lord for our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you. They drop powerless behind you when you praise him. Let's exalt in the Lord today and rejoice in the God of our salvation. He is worthy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this little book of Habakkuk. Lord, that speaks so clearly to us where we are today. And Lord, I pray for all of us here. First of all, for those who have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation from the penalty of their sin, that they would turn from their sin, turn from trusting themselves to try to make themselves right with you and turn and trust in Jesus who has died in their place. Lord, for all of us, the rest of us who have done that, Lord, I pray that you would empower us, Lord, to come to you humbly in prayer. Lord, to trust in your faithfulness in the midst of our circumstances in order to exalt in you, the Lord, and rejoice in you, the God of our salvation. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.